0: Hey, folks. I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more
1: space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told as many as 800
0: can be accommodated uh, they, they've got space they do they've got uh, if you've been in the dunlap champions club you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor really of the university center club but the fourth floor is twenty thousand square feet floor-to-ceiling windows overlooks bobby bowden field they can set it you know whatever you want plated function theater seating cocktail reception if you like uh the terrace the little outdoor and and actually this time of year yeah yeah i might not suggest it for late july early august this time of year this time of year i think that's an option same thing up there cocktail reception they'll set it however you want just consider it it's uh it it really is a great space i've I've been to several functions there i'd encourage you to do the same 850-644-1830 for ticket information or you can call and schedule a private tour and now without further ado Front Row Knowles.
2: Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is Front Row Knowles First Look with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Good day, everybody. Tom Block with you. Keith Jones will join me shortly. This is Front Row Knowles, a New Year's Day edition. So happy New Year's to you and yours. I'm actually in El Paso recording this on New Year's Eve, and I'll explain the way the show will unfold. We'll obviously have a Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl recap coming up. We'll do that in the first half of the show. And then in the second half of the show, Keith and I will go bigger picture and talk about the moves that Mike Norvell has made over the last three weeks, really since being hired, to piece together a staff, both on field, behind the scenes, the recruiting success he's had, the big news this week that came with a couple of key players announcing they will come back. So uh, we recorded that before the Sun Bowl for full transparency. Transparency's sake, Then the second segment that you'll hear, I caught Keith just before he got on a bus to head to the airport with the team as they were flying back after the Sun Bowl. I uh, got to ring in New Year's in El Paso. Yay for me, so that's why you've got me right now as we recap this. But coming up in a little bit, we'll hear from uh, Odell Higgins and a couple of players, James Blackman and also Robert Cooper, who was the defensive line MVP of the game, I guess, and Blackman obviously was the story of the game and that he turned the ball over five times, and Keith and I will address that. So that will come up in a couple minutes, but I'll give you my two cents on this game just to get things started. First of all, you can't turn the ball over six times and win the football game. And when you look at the box score, just about every statistical category is in Florida State's favor in this game, save for third down conversions. But time of possession is. The, The red zone play was better for FSU. Arizona State has an all-world punter, out-punted Florida State by a little bit. Uh, FSU committed a couple more penalties. But when you're looking at first downs, uh, net yards rushing, net yards passing, and a lot of that was because of the 91-yard TD toss to Tamari and Terry, Florida State's numbers are pretty good here, and you would think that you would come away with the win, but you just can't turn it over six times. So think back, start of the game, you get a gift fumble on the botched exchange by Arizona State, you get it to first and goal at the two, and then you throw the the interception, and you come away with no points. Shortly thereafter, next possession, in fact, again, you're in the red zone. A field goal gets blocked. You had somebody late getting out to line up, and that contributed to that, I think. I didn't see the replay, but that's what I saw live in my mind. And so that's the kind of mistake we're in Game 13 of the year that you just can't make, and it's really plagued Florida State for the last two years. So we're turning the page on that. But that's 10 points right there in a game that you end up losing 20-14, to 14 and that's without even getting into all the other turnovers. And despite all that, Florida State had the ball in plus territory, in Arizona State territory, plenty of time left, still a timeout in the back pocket to try and get a touchdown to win that game in dramatic fashion. Obviously it didn't go that way. A guy who would have been the MVP of the game in Tamarion Terry fumbles the football, and he goes from hero to goat, if you will. But I don't think you can fault Terry too much. Nine catches, 165 yards and that 91-yard touchdown in the game, which is a Sun Bowl record for uh, receiving touchdown, by the way. But in the end, Florida State, just too many turnovers, a lot of penalties. Early on in the game, they don't, they're not reflected in the penalties, but there was a holding call and a chop block, both against FSU, that uh, ended up being declined because of what Arizona State had. One of them was on the uh, uh, interception. I think there was a, a holding call on that. I don't recall the exact sequence. I'm not looking at the play-by-play, but the point is you could see early on that Florida State was going to have trouble blocking it up as they've done all year long. They didn't have their full offensive line, and that's been a struggle this year. But I thought Florida State did the best it could do given the situation with the backfield. The guys, including the guys that you haven't heard of, like Treshawn Ward, ran hard, ran well in that football game. Dante Sheffield ran hard and well. He wound up with 18 carries for 87 yards, 4.8 yards per clip, and those two ninety-one yards our drives back-to-back in the third quarter. Those are the two longest drives Florida State had all season. So there was some good mixed in, but at the end of the day, Really, the Sun Bowl was a microcosm of what you see in the last two years from Florida State. Too many self-inflicted wounds. Turnovers, not getting guys set on special teams, making special team mistakes like the fair catch that resulted in the ball being at the three-yard line, like Raymond Woody, who is the backup punt returner, fair catching a ball at the five-yard line. Might have been the the eight or nine, I guess, since it led to a 91-yard drive. But those are the kind of mistakes you can't have, penalties, and they're the kind of mistakes that Florida State has committed with frequency over the last two years. So the season comes to an end, and Florida State finishes with a losing record for the second straight year. First time that's happened since the early 70s. But a new day dawns. It's the start of a new year. It's the start of a new decade. It's the start of a new era. And Mike Norvell has hit the ground running or sprinting, as he told us on the radio network during the broadcast on Tuesday. We will... Uh Talk again about Mike Norvell in the second half of this show when uh, when Keith joins me. But for now, let's listen into the post game comments of Odell Hagen's and also James Blackman as well as Robert Cooper following Florida State's Sun Bowl loss, twenty to fourteen, to Arizona State. Here's that post game press conference. How's
3: everyone? Well, um, the guys played hard. We made a few mistakes, but like I always say. If you look at any of my presses, we are Florida State. We're unconquered. We grew this year. We will be back. Coach Norville, myself, and the rest of the coaches, we will be back. Arizona State did a good job. I take my head off to them. Coach Herm, they did a good job. We get them credit. They did a good job. But as I said before, about this team I just talked with you. It's not about a culture, it's about creating great habits. When you create great habits, that's when you have a great culture. First off the field, in the classroom, where we got 37, 32 guys, 3.0, they starting to do it. This team grew this year and I appreciate it and I love each and every one of them and the coaches. It grew. Questions? Coach, I guess six turnovers, was that kind of a story? Well, like I said, we got to keep creating great habits. Arizona, Arizona State did a great job. We turned the ball over, but we can play better. We are going to play better next year how do you feel about the defensive performance, holding the the four-field goals and no touchdowns, really, on on defense? Well, Coach Bonnet went back to his style of defense. Four down, getting out of it. Them guys, defensively, we did a very good job. And containing that quarterback, containing those receivers, we did a very good job. Feel great about what he did. Coach, coming off the field, saw a lot of emotion coming from players and coaches alike. I know you never want to lose, but is it kind of a positive thing to see that much emotion and see the guys care that much about the outcome
4: of the game?
3: Well, I'll say this. You never want to lose. But the last two months, not just this football game, this program grew up. I think we got a darn good coach coming in, head coach coming in, Mike Norvell. These kids fought. They're they, they showing your resilience they showing you the unconquered, the only thing i can say, we will be back. Coach, um, what do you think was the biggest issue in the first half offensively? It's like you was having some trouble getting on track of offensively in the first half. Well, we was off for 30 days offense, and some things wasn't clicking. Made a few mistakes. They came back the second half, we picked it up, moved football, put us back in the game. Could you have a guy
0: like Deontay Sheffield hasn't really seen the field at all this season. Can you just speak on his performance and how he was able to come in and run the ball almost for 100 yards today, especially with the uh, amount of players that you've had available to you at that position?
3: Yes, I speak on his performance. He did a great job. Showing confidence in you young man. At Florida State, through my tenure as a player and as a coach, We all would, we always would say, next man up. That's one reason why. In today's society, I don't care. If a kid is a walk-on or whatnot, you treat everybody just like they're a star on your football team, and you love them
2: like that. It's tough, obviously, having as many guys out, injury, declaring early, all that. But at the same time, going forward, you talk about moving forward. Is it nice to kind of have the expanded roles and see how the guys who are going to be the future handled that today?
3: Yes. Yes. You know, no excuses. We have a lot of guys out. I would love to have Marvin Wilson, uh, Joshua though. Uh, Jaden Woodby, got two corners hurt in the game, freshmen. And we played with freshmen. So that tells you right there, the last two months these kids grew off the field and on the field, we're gonna keep
2: going. What's the plan for the team going, do they get any time off before Coach Norvell kind of starts doing what he wants to do? Well, before, him and I,
3: we, we haven't talked about it yet, but Hey, you know we got to be back on the field, but going forward, hit the grays hard, work out, do the little things, creating great habits. One more question for Coach.
2: Thank you, Coach. We got Mr. James Blackman and Mr. Robert Cooper. Please make sure you address who you're going to speak to.
4: James, just how difficult was that performance for you individually? You know, a lot of pressure on you today, and. Obviously, some shortcomings. Um, it was very difficult. Um, I didn't perform at the level that my teammates needed me to perform. i um, gave the ball away too many times. Um, can't win games like that. Turning the ball over consistently, that's, that's not good. Um, that's just apart part of some of the inconsistencies I had this year, and then they showed up a day. On the pick six, was it miscommunication? Um, it was a little miscommunication, but that's part of the game, part of playing his position, playing this role. Um, we got to take what come with
0: it. A lot of guys that had to kind of step into bigger roles offensively, just how many guys were out. Just working with them, what do you kind of see with them going forward and what they can be?
4: Uh, you know, we got a great group of guys. Like I said, some um, guys played their butt off the day, um, played very hard. They wanted to win. They showed the world that they wanted to win. Just gave the ball away too many times. Robert, earlier in the week, Marvin announced that he was going to come back for his final season. What does that mean for you? And what do you, what do you expect from the defensive line next season? I mean, it meant a lot of, to me because when I came
3: up, well, Yeah, it meant a lot to me because when I came in as a freshman, you know, he was really the main ones who took me under his wing and, you know, taught me the ropes of most you know, of college football. So, you know, it, it was kind of good news to me, girl. But, you know, it's going to help our D-line, you know, you know, Coach O'Dell, you know, he's going to command the best out of everybody. That's you what know, it's does too, so it's going to help our defense a lot. Robert, how much did you guys enjoy the defensive approach you guys took today? Um, Coach said you guys were more attacking. And and yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I liked it more, of course, because, you know, it just allows us to, you know, get our ears back and go. So, you know, good.
4: James, for you, in terms of your future, uh, who are you going to lean on and do you kind of have a plan and uh, what you want to weigh and, and think about here in the next few weeks and months with a new coach coming on? Um, honestly, I'm just trying to get, get this hurt and I, I have my heart right here out of my heart right now because I know there's a lot of guys in that locker room who want to win. A lot of guys in that locker room who fought hard and win. It's a lot of players who put in a lot of work before we, before we got here and was prepared to come win this game. And like I said, I didn't play to the best of my ability. And that's the only thing I'm focused on right now is fixing the mistakes that I made. You obviously care so much about this team. I mean, you still have it in you to, to keep going through the, the changes and, and the uncertainty? Um, most definitely. Um, like I said before, once you, when you cut me, I believe going in and go. Um, this is in me forever. Once to no, know always, and no, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. Everything behind me and put my best foot forward and go to work. Um, that's just the guy I've always been, someone who I'm always willing to go to work. So as soon as we get on this plane and land where we're going to land, that I'm gonna be ready to get to work.
2: One more question For either you guys, I mean, how do you go about taking that
4: emotion
3: and spending it forward to move forward and, and not get stuck on what happened in the past, but even work on it as O'Bell said, making this a better plan 23 Can I answer that question? I answered that question right there for you. Uh, Reed. we grew as a team. I don't like losing, they don't like losing, this program don't like losing. You go back and look at this team two months ago, they grew. They know what they got to do, they know the habits they must create. They have a great culture.
0: Keith and I will assess this in next segment when he joins me briefly. And as I mentioned, if you're just tuning in, disjointed way we're doing the show. But uh, Keith and I recorded a segment briefly before he literally was the last guy to get on the bus or he was going to get left, and he headed to the airport to fly home. I I spent the night in El Paso, uh, so I'm just finishing up this segment. But James Blackman and his future at Florida State, I think most probably – thought with a new coach, everybody getting a clean slate, two quarterbacks signed, that there will be a significant competition, and there's a pretty good chance it won't be James Blackman as the starting quarterback next year. And that was the thought before the Sun Bowl, at least just kind of taking the temperature from people I had talked to. And then you go out and turn it over five times, and even with the clean slate, there's going to be a lot of time for reflection for Blackman to figure out, does he want to stay in the fray at FSU, or how does he want to proceed moving forward? And, again, we can get into that discussion later on. We've got several months to do so to figure out who will be Florida State's next quarterback. But the five turnovers that he committed too much, then Terry commits a sixth turnover. If you look at it on the whole, Arizona State as a team averaged – 25 points per game this season Florida State held them to 20 and 7 of that was on a uh, a pick six, or I guess technically that was eight of those points came on the, the interception and the score. So Florida State did a nice job there, and I know Arizona State was missing its top receiver and top running back, but still a nice job there. In the red zone, Arizona State was second in the Pac-12 this year and 25th nationally in terms of their success rate, and Florida State really did a nice job there enforcing four field goals from Christians and Dejas. The defense, I thought, played really, really well. I don't know what you could find fault with on the defensive side, save for the one screen pass that Arizona State hit in in the second quarter that went 77 yards and flipped the field led to some points beyond that I don't know that you can find very much you'd like to get another turnover or two to balance the scales but when the offense turns it over six times you're just not going to get the equalizer there all in all, a good effort from Harlan Barnett's team. Odell Higgins talked about the fact that they went back to four down, which is much more what Harlan is used to doing. They did have some injuries and in that they lost Bolden in that game. And so Akeem Dent played corner. He had been at safety most of this year. They moved him to corner. They moved green from corner to safety, so there were some adjustments. Carlos Becker played significant time and had 10 tackles. One of the best efforts he's had in his injury play career. Uh, The play up front was pretty good. They really bottled up Arizona State's rushing attack. Certainly the, the starting running back for Arizona State, who had had very limited work this year, that's part of the reason that he put the ball on the ground twice, and we didn't see as much of, of him after that. But all in all, I, I thought it was a very good defensive effort. a shame that you have to lose a game like that if you're the defense, but but that's the way it goes. Offensively, Florida State... Got very predictable in the first half, and I was wondering what the adjustments would be, and we saw it in the second half. When I say predictable, it was obvious that they don't trust Travis to throw the football. If he was in, Arizona State keyed the run, and if Blackman was in, and he got stuck in bad positions in the first half. They kept bringing him back in, and it was third and 14, and it led to a sack or a turnover or ended up being a punt. But in the second half, uh, Florida State mixed things up a little bit. And really the key, though, was that first 91-yard drive. They were able to run the ball and stay ahead of the chains. That's the drive that later on they went for it on fourth down and Travis got it. And then they did the back-to-back passes to Blackman. And the first one, it was, it was really well set up. The first one looked as if what are they throwing to Blackman for for two yards? But then the very next play – it's the throwback to Travis who almost got in the end zone that's when the crowd came to life by the way side note tremendous crowd at the Sun Bowl really great crowd and a really job well done the community of El Paso the city of El Paso embraces the bowl game and the bowl staff does a very nice job I was only in town for 36 hours really but you could see that they embrace this and they, it's, there's a reason that this bowl game's been played since the mid-1930s they do a nice job with it so so hats off to them but back to the, the offensive adjustments, you saw that, and then you saw, you know, you don't have all running backs, so the run, running backs that you want because you don't have labor and an acres, and so Florida State scores a touchdown uh, by running the football with Ontario Wilson, and it was good to see him back. Unfortunately, later on in the game, when you're driving for what you hope is going to be the win right at the end, again, you, you decide not to give the ball to the running backs who had performed well, and you give it to Terry, and I know people will second guess that, but I think given what Florida State had to deal with, Bryles did a nice job, and in the second half there of, of putting Florida State in position to win. Tip of the cap to Keith Gavin, too, who's been much maligned in his career for not having the productivity that you would associate with a guy that's put together like he is 6'3". He just looks like an NFL Hall of Fame receiver, and that's not what his career turned out to be. But I think all Seminoles really felt like when he made that circus catch on the last drive that he was going to go out the same way he came in meaning if you flash back to the Orange Bowl win against Michigan, he's the guy that nobody expected anything from, and he returns that kickoff that flips the field and enables Florida State to beat the Wolverines. It looked like he was going to do the same thing again on Tuesday in El Paso, but unfortunately the turnover followed. Uh, At the end of the day, uh, again, it all comes back to the turnovers. I'll let Keith react to this in the second segment. I will share that in the locker room after the game, and what's, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. So I won't go into too much detail except to say that uh, it's bittersweet and I know fans are ready to turn the page on this era given the lack of success Florida State's had the last two years. But these are still uh, friendships that are formed, working relationships that are formed, strong bonds that are formed. And so it was an emotional scene as coaches that won't work together again perhaps ever say goodbye to each other. Uh, Players say goodbye to coaches that they respect or have a bond with because, as you know, the entire staff, uh, save for Dugan's, and Odell Higgins is is turning over. So uh, it was certainly a a disappointed locker room given the result of the game, and then a a sad locker room, and that was going to happen win or lose, given the reasons I just described. So again, I'll take a break here. Keith will weigh in with his analysis in this next segment, and then Keith and I will get into the start of the Mike Norvell era and talk about the hires he's made and and how the future projects. Uh, It was a disappointing day on Tuesday, but if you look at this week, and, and if I told you on Sunday hey here's the deal Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry are both going to come back and play another year and in exchange Florida State's going to lose the Sun Bowl everybody listening right now would take that exchange and so that's what you got and so we'll turn the page it's the start of a new year and a new era we'll talk about that and wrap up things from El Paso when we continue here on Front Row Knowles.
2: Front Row Knowles first look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener online at ctf.nu here's Tom and Keith Back on Front Row Knowles,
0: we heard the comments of Odell Higgins and KJ. We can discuss this at length and we will for the rest of the segment, but if you turn it over six times, that's really where it starts and ends. Very much so and and
1: you know, even if you're playing well and Florida State offensively did not play well in the first half, even if you're playing well, you can't turn the ball over that many times and expect it to come out victorious. Uh, defensively, I think they did what they needed to do. They certainly held uh, ASU to those field goals when they got down in the red zone. But uh, again, you got to come back to the turnovers. You just can't
0: you can't turn the ball over that many times to expect to win. And it started. I mean, when you get a gift on the first play of the game, the defense falls on a ball. You get it down to the two yard line. Your first single, you got to get points out of that. You got to get seven out of it. And when you look, they lost by six. Exactly. Exactly. And and Florida State offensively was just plagued by some missed things. You
1: know on that. At first interception, the receiver basically fell down. Uh, the others, you know, you'd have to go back and look at the tape, but Blackman probably at fault for the majority of them. But it, it just wasn't good karma
0: to begin with, there's no question. You know, the heat of the moment is not the time to have an extended conversation about the future for James Blackman, who will come back if he chooses to and be in the quarterback race. But the reality is that's a pretty tough thing to, to turn the page from. I mean, he's had three different offensive coordinators in three years. And he personally committed five of the turnovers. Yeah, this this is something that uh, I think he's going to have to do some soul-searching on.
1: Certainly the new staff is going to have to do an evaluation on. Um, Certainly he has the mentality and the the, the team behind him. But is is this going to work for him? And I think that is going to be a question that's going to have to be addressed and some people are going to have to
0: talk about even if they don't want to. The two quarterbacks that were signed, and we can talk about this later, they're not going to be here early entry, so they won't be here in the spring, uh, but they will be here in the fall, and I mean, I think it's going to be a clean slate for everybody. We can save that conversation for another time. Clearly, nobody is wants it more than James, but it was a forgettable day in terms of the five turnovers. That said, you still had a chance to win, and the guy who's going to be the MVP of the bowl game, if you do win, with eight catches for 160 yards or whatever Terry had, just puts one on the ground when Florida State looked like they were going to go in and steal one.
1: Yeah and that was an interesting call and I'm sure sure if Kendall had to do it over again he might think differently. He had not run the ball very much and both of the running backs as well as Travis had done well running the ball so I understand getting the ball
0: into his hands and into Terry's hands. I'm just not sure that was the right time to do that. Yeah, hindsight is undefeated, so easy to make that. I mean, they did run Ontario Wilson for the first touchdown of the game. The two-quarterback system, I will say this. Let's go back. When Florida State grabbed the lead, you have to admire the resilience that the team showed, certainly, to fight back. Really, uh, the, the crowd was quiet. There was a great crowd, and FSU just wasn't into it. But somehow they muster back-to-back 91-yard drives, the two longest drives of the season. The the resiliency of this club, particularly in the last couple three ball games under
1: Odell's leadership, I don't think can be questioned. I think everybody was playing for Florida State. They were playing for Odell. They were playing for the name on their jerseys. And so I don't fault the effort at all. It goes down to execution and uh, and not making the turnovers. If you do that, you in the ball game we turn it over you don't.
0: Terry that was as beautiful a ball as Blackman has thrown all year to him for 91 yards and given the news that came earlier this week that he's coming back for another year pretty impressive. Very much so and did you see the afterburner he turned on after he caught the ball that's some speed we hadn't seen. It was impressive. The running backs ran hard I mean there was a walk-on and Deontay Sheffield who's kind of bounced back and forth they ran hard. Very much so I was impressed they gave good effort and uh, Florida State benefited
1: from it they out rushed ASU particularly in the first half when they were controlling the ball a little more uh, I
0: thought they gave a standing effort It was an emotional locker room You've got coaches that are saying goodbye to players and other support staff that they're not going to see again because they're no longer here It's a business when you get down to it You hate to think about college athletics as being a business but you're exactly right, it is KJ, you're afraid you're going to get left by a bus so should I let you go? You should let me go, I need to get on a bus Alright, I'll figure out the rest of the show We'll do this again next week Appreciate it, Tom. Safe travels. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Obviously, turnover is the story in this one as Florida State falls. Had a chance at the end, but uh, a chance is not going to be enough. And uh, Arizona State prevails, and Florida State finishes with a losing season uh, yet again. And we'll have to get back on the winning track next year under Coach Mike Norvell. Okay, what Keith and I are going to do in our next uh, two segments of the show, we're going to go bigger picture and talk more about Coach Mike Norvell and how he's pieced together his staff and some of the folks that uh, he's, you know, brought in and both on the field and off. Also, how he's recruited so far, and we'll
2: do that after I take this break right here. Again, more of Front Row Knowles is coming up right after this. Front Row Knowles' first look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at CTF.NU. Here's Tom and Keith. Happy New Year
0: as we welcome you back here on Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, with you, and we've we'll move our attention from uh, from the game, Keith, to just the overall big picture of Florida State football, because I don't think any of us could have imagined, and I know this is how the hype train gets rolling, but I don't think any of us could have imagined or predicted that there would have been this much positive momentum for Mike Norvell three weeks into his tenure. It just seems like one day after the next, there's a press release, people get excited about it, and Again, we're going to have to see the product on the field, but you can't really argue with what we've seen so far.
1: Two things have impressed me uh, from a personal standpoint. Number one, the the apparent quality, and I say apparent because we don't know these guys yet, but these are the the in terms of staff, these are guys that have worked with Norvell or know Norvell, and I think one of the things that has jumped out at me, and he made the comment during one of his press conferences he had hired what was it 21 or 23 people in his four years at Memphis and the only person that had hired more people on his staff was Saban because we know how Alabama runs people in and out and and that that really spoke to me because i think if you start looking at the quality and the background of the guys that he's bringing in as as coaches and as staff um you you just got to be impressed uh they're young they're aggressive they're plugged in they're people that know him uh it's it's a very in, impressive group of people on paper now as you say uh proof will be in the wins you got to win ball games second thing is that he's worked rather meticulously you know, everything's—it's not been haphazard. It, it appears that there's a plan in place, and he's gone through the hoops uh, to vet and look at people. And I, I think that began back with with John and 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 AD Coburn uh, in terms of taking their time to hire Norvell, and now Norvell has taken his time to put his staff together. And I'm like you—I I, I use the term with folks uh, that I'm cautiously optimistic under the Taggart era. There was a lot of positive. There's no question about that. We all were wishing Willie well, and and we all got excited. So I think under the Norvell era in the early going, I'm cautiously optimistic, but everything points in the
0: right direction. There is no question. Let me expound on the cautiously optimistic. Generally, when you change coaches – Think of this at the pro level. You have the player's coach, and then you get the tough guy, and then you get the player's coach, and then you get the tough guy. Uh, but you point out the differences between the coaches. So when Willie came in, he was a breath of fresh air compared to what Jimbo was on the way out. But as we look back, it wasn't as organized and buttoned up as we thought it should be. So now a big disparity or contrast between the two is that Mike Norvell appears to be buttoned up, has a plan, and is executing the plan. What that turns into on the field, we don't know yet. I think just looking at the last couple of weeks, First of all, on the staff, I agree. There's people that he knows that have worked with them. But that said, he didn't bring his whole staff from Memphis. They've been in other places. They have Power Five experience. They have head coach experience. Some of them, they have coordinator experience. I think it's a good mix. From a diversity standpoint, it's a good mix. Uh, as we're recording this, he still has one more hire to go. But I think you have to be pleased with what you've seen so far again. And now we'll see how it translates to the field. There's also been behind-the-scenes hires. One of them being a strength coach, one of them being a chief of staff, which has a lot of folks excited, and I'm not sure if chief of staff in this new era... And I'm talking about Bruce Warwick, I believe is his name, who came from the Rams, I'm not sure if that is a new title, but the same role as director of football operations, or if that is a title that sits above director of football operations and maybe over recruiting and over everything else, re- reporting directly to the coach. Either way, uh, I would take that as a pretty good move from an infrastructure standpoint.
1: I think it speaks to the fact that, that Norvell wants to put together the, the infrastructure, and you're, you're getting a guy that's got NFL experience, The thing that impressed me about him is he coordinated the move from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And, and I, I've never been involved in anything like that, but I can only imagine everything that goes into moving an actual franchise from one place to the other. So in terms of taking care of um, the, the, the in the I's and crossing the T's, certainly you would think there's experience there. Uh, and I'm like you. I don't know what that exactly means. Uh, and, and I think in today's era, maybe Norvell's a little bit ahead of the curve. Maybe that's where other people are going as well. Because uh, when you say Chief of Staff, you, you think of someone that's running everything, we'll, we'll find out what that in- actually means once they get <coughs> pardon me, they get on board and, and they start making it happen. But paying attention to the little things is what impresses me. And, and I think Norvell's done a great job of doing that.
0: Heard good things about the strength coach too and a lot of talk about how it's going to be tougher maybe than what the players have experienced before. Again, we'll have to wait and see on that. I can remember when Dave Van Hallinger was here, everybody loved him until the product on the field wasn't good and then everybody said we got to change strength coaches. And then you had Todd Stroud and he was fine and the product wasn't good and we changed and you get Coach Vic and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody else out, but uh, hopefully that's good too. But the bigger picture is that in three weeks he's gotten these, these ducks all in a row. The other thing that I thought was significant, two things, really significant to me, first from a coaching standpoint, second from a player standpoint. Two guys who have been position coaches, one at Memphis, one at Marshall, have agreed to come on board as analysts at Florida State. So they're taking a demotion short-term because they're hitching themselves to Mike Norvell, and I'm sure there's, well, not a direct promise, I'm sure the idea there is you'll have a chance to move into some of these positions when they become vacant in a year or two because my guys are going to move up. But the fact they would take that initial step, I don't see how you could construe that as anything positive. And then the second thing is, for a guy like Marvin Wilson, not as much Tamari and Terry, I'm glad. Glad they're both coming back. Terry, I think, was probably a lower-round draft pick and stands to improve his stock in a draft that's crowded with receivers. But for a first-round draft pick to come back, that means that he's buying what Norvell is selling. Exactly.
1: And I think the biggest move that Norvell made, and it was not a hard move, but it was a smart move, is retaining Odell. I think Odell uh, is the is the is the key to, from the old, from the past, into the new and, and becomes the facilitator, and we've seen how the kids respond to him. Uh, you and I have a personal relationship with him. I, I love Odell. I, I can't even imagine a Florida State staff that doesn't have uh, Odell on it. Um, and and as I think it's just intuitively smart from Norvell's standpoint to continue with him. Uh, I think the other thing that's interesting about Norvell, and this goes back to just business, but. You know he's not afraid to surround himself with people that a want his job or can do his job, and and he's okay with that. He surrounds himself with very competent, capable people, and he in fact, and during recruiting, he will tell a recruit there's there's a very good chance that your segment coach will not be here when you're a senior, because these are the types of people that I bring in. I bring in people that want to move up, and you need to know that. As you sign with Florida State. And that's a little different of a recruiting pitch than, than maybe many of these kids have heard or seen. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember one time reading a book talking about business and said the, the, the CEO needs to surround himself with people that can do his job, provide them with the resources to do their job, and then get the hell out of the way. And that seems to be a mantra that Norvell is, is em, embellishing
0: or em, embracing, and, and I think it's very healthy. It's certainly impressive to see the way this thing has started. Your point about Haggins and the other coach that he retained is Ron Dugans, we'll never know. But when you look at the two guys that just came back for their senior year, one plays at Odell's segment one plays at Dugan's segment and Dugan's also helped bring in several uh, receivers during the early signing period so those were those were key hires I want to go back to Marvin Wilson though and we don't know how this will play out I do know people will be critical of him from a standpoint that he needed to just go get his money and get paid right now but if you flip it it really is a selfless thing and whether this is his motivation or not maybe it's uh, the family wants him to finish his degree maybe it's he really loves Florida state that much there's there's a, maybe he loves Odell that much there's a million reasons he could come back but at the end of the day if things turn around here he could be looked back on as as re- he's already looked at as a great player but really a signature player whose decision to stay led to other things, i.e. now recruits are impressed because he came back, and the program starts going back the right direction. I mean, it, it's just an impressive, mature decision for a guy like Marvin Wilson to make, and then we can talk about the, the insurance part of it after you respond to that.
1: Well, exactly, and I, I was shocked. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, when I got the news that, that he was coming back... I questioned it. I, I went. I went and looked for a source. I wasn't trusting uh, the individual that told me. I just. I couldn't believe it. And then, as I processed it, and as I heard uh, his press conference, press release, uh, if you will, um, you know, it started. It started making sense to me. I mean, he he made a commitment uh, early on to his family that he wanted to get his degree. And I am a big, big believer on people that honor commitments. I I just think that there's something about giving your word shaking on it and then standing up to it regardless of contracts or other things that make uh, and speak to your integrity and and the value of your word and that is very impressive to me uh the insurance part of it uh you know they can take care of now that that the monetary part of it is not an issue like it used to be five and seven and ten years ago uh and and that's why i don't really understand we'll get in this another time but i really don't understand all these kids that are not playing in bowl games I mean, this is last time with your teammates, last time for your university. I mean, you know, it, that, that just doesn't resonate with old people like me. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget the last game that I played in. It was a loss to Oklahoma, but it was by one point. And we still talk about it when I get together in reunions with my teammates. That doesn't process with me. But new day, new era, and, uh, and, and I'm really impressed with Marvin's
0: decision. So, just to drill a little bit deeper there, the insurance has always been available, but what happened a few years ago, and for Florida State, it started with Jameis, but I think it was actually at Texas A&M way pre-Jimbo. They were the ones who tested the waters. There's an NCAA student-athlete assistance fund. I think that's the name of the fund. And it exists for various reasons, including a family member passed away and you need to fly home, your mom is sick, just emergency-type situations to to benefit the student-athlete. Well, Texas A&M, again, I believe was the first to use it, and they applied it to pay the premium for a loss of value insurance policy, and then Florida State in turn did the same for Jameis. So this is not Marvin Wilson having to secure money from an agent or a loan or anything like that. It's not an extra benefit. It's something that all universities are doing now. And I think the question is really, it's twofold, is how many of your 85 scholarship guys do you offer this to and I don't every school may do that differently they may say if there's a first round projection we're going to do this or if it's a first three rounds we're going to do this but then there's two types of insurance and one I guess is is more or less a total disability can never play football again and one is a loss of value i.e. you're projected as a first round pick right now but after next year you're a third round pick and you can collect on that and I'll let you as the risk management expert (coughs) weigh in and set the record straight One is called career-ending disability, and a career-ending
1: disability for a football player is far different than a disability for you or I. So you blow out that knee, and and they, they do the reconstructive surgery, but it just doesn't come back, and you're not whole. You, you still can walk around like a human being. You can hold most other jobs. You just can't play football at the NFL level. That's career-ending disability. The other one is is loss of value, loss of value. And that is you, you blow out that knee, and, and, and the pros are a little bit shy of you. And so instead of going in the first round, you go in the third round or the fourth round. And uh, both of those policies are available. And as you talked about, I think technically when they first introduced them, uh, the players had to borrow the money, and then they paid the premium back back, uh, maybe the first couple, of three years, but you're right. In today's environment, uh, it's taken care of by the universities. I don't know all the mechanics about who's eligible for it or not. I'm thinking, Tom, just outside the box, that I probably wasn't eligible my senior year, probably didn't need to take out that insurance on my part. Just a guess
0: on mine. Well, to put it in current day, and I get your sarcasm there, (laughs) Stanford Sam is the third decided to turn pro. Now, that's a whole nother dis- discussion we can have about whether that's a wise decision or not because uh, you don't see him technically, you know, as a guy that somebody should invest a pick in. I think with his frame and athleticism, he'll probably get picked and get a chance, but he may be a guy that because his projection is so low, maybe Florida State is not extending that offer to buy that insurance. And again, I don't know where they draw that line. I don't know who makes that decision, but if that's the case, then Stanford may say, well, I can't afford to blow out my knee. This is what I am. So let's go get measured and, and I'll try to get paid for this. The bottom Bottom line of all of it is that they're making
1: business decisions, and you and I both know because we've been in business. Sometimes you make good decisions, and sometimes you make bad decisions. But you have to make a decision, and and he's chosen to do that. Uh, I, I, for one, think that it's not necessarily a good one. I hope he proves me wrong. I have I have nothing but the best for he and his family. But uh, in terms of Stanford, but um, it 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 all goes into the process. It's not just about. Uh, playing at the collegiate level and getting a degree. For some of these kids, there are other things to
0: factor in, and we just have to live with it. All right, we'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue to wish you a Happy New Year and continue with Front Row Knowles right after this.
2: Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back. Happy New Year again. Tom and KJ with you as we wrap up Front Row Knowles. We'll be back to our regular schedule uh, next week. We're in El Paso as we're recording this. And so uh, we'll continue with the big picture conversation. We wrapped up the the Sun Bowl in our first couple of segments. But bigger picture, Keith, a lot of talk about the staff and the additions for Coach Mike Norvell. And the fact that a couple of underclassmen are coming back, which was huge. What we haven't talked about yet is the fact that already the transfer portal has been cashed in, so to speak, by Norvell. Got a starting offensive tackle, or at least somebody who started the last couple of years at FIU. Got a running back, very highly touted, who's coming off a redshirt year due to a hamstring injury. And he'll have to appeal to see if he's actually eligible in 2020, much like Jordan Travis did last year. But that's a good start. You know, this, this transfer portal
1: being old school, uh, not in favor of, didn't like, don't like, but it is what it is. It's kind of like the early signing period. So you better adapt. And I think what uh, staffs and what schools are beginning to understand is they've got to have somebody monitoring that almost on a full-time basis. It's become that important of a, uh, of a tool to use. Now, I don't know with all the ins and outs, and I haven't studied uh, you know when you can reach out, when you can contact, and all that stuff, but I do know that the initial thought was that this was for disgruntled people that you probably wouldn't even want on your team and the reality is it's probably the exact opposite this is someone that for pardon me for whatever reason is in a situation where they don't think they're going to play much and they want to play so therefore they want to go somewhere else where they can play and i i I personally have kind of changed my attitude about it I, i i still think there's issues with it but i think it's something that you've got to embrace and and i think norvell and his staff are, are going to put the resources in place to do just that. I think you're behind the scenes if you don't. Uh, and as a result, it's become just as important as the spring evaluations during uh, j- jamborees and things like that
0: when kids are in their junior year going into their senior year. Well, already it has changed the thoughts on what 2020 could look like for Florida State because there's the long-term fixes that are needed, i.e. you got to recruit more linemen, better linemen, and not be deficient in some areas. And you got to continue to stockpile the cupboard. But the reality is now and we'll see. I mean, last year FSU got a starting tackle uh, out of the out of the transfer portal. It appears they did for next year as well. I think that he'll go back and get at least one more tackle, maybe two more linemen, and I think they'll find another running back, and they might find a defensive end, pass rusher. It would not surprise me if they could get two to four more folks out of the portal.
1: And 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 the other thing about those is it's kind of like the NFL. In that these are tr- true free agents. They're they're not. 17, 18-year-old kids, you've, you've got tape on them. They've played at the Division One level, uh, whether it be FBS or FCS. You've got tape on them. You know what they are. They're 20, they're 21, they're 22. It's a different... <laughs> caliber of, of athlete and a different caliber of player, and and, and as I mentioned, I'm repeating myself, but I, I think you just got to start paying more attention to it, and I think it's going to become very, very instrumental in what you do from a recruiting standpoint.
0: Yeah, the one line of delineation <coughs> in terms of helping the 2020 Knowles is that if you're looking for immediate impact, you got to get a grad transfer who's immediately eligible. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait for the NCAA to rule, and you can't put all your eggs in that basket. You just don't know. We didn't know until two days before the season if Jordan Travis was going to be eligible or whatever the- the time frame was. But I do think that uh, even though we're in an era where the early signing period, most of the work is done, you know, 80% of the kids are signing before Christmas, uh, Norvell and his staff are hitting it hard, and uh, between now and, and that first Wednesday in February, There may be, you know, it's not going to be a huge number, but there may be five to seven more names or something that that pop up. Even if it's three to five, I mean, there's going to be some additions.
1: And the the thing about those additions, those will not be kids that are great athletes that you want to bring into your program. These are going to be kids that meet a specific need, uh, a strong need that you bring into your program. You know, one of the other things that I'm anxious to hear about is just moving forward is, is some of the macro things about, you know, do you continue practicing in the morning? Do you go back to afternoon practices? Uh, do, do they want to do um, some trips to IMG or other places uh, during fall camp? Um, you know, how's, how's the spring tour going to be? Well, what's Norville's ability to interact with the fan base? I mean, there's a whole lot of other things that we're going to get revealed in the next two, three, four months uh, that are going to be very telling, in my opinion, as to how this program continues to move whichever direction it goes. And I'm excited about it. I, I, I you know... I, I remember being optimistic two years ago, but I don't remember being
0: excited, and I'm excited this year. Good. So you've already gone from cautiously optimistic to excited, all in the span of this show.
1: Well, I I, I guess I should thank you for that. You're you're my mentor
0: (laughs) in that regard. What do you think? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, the the only thing is, you you know, we're going to spend these nine months, we talk about it every year. Leading up to that game this coming year, it'll be in Atlanta against West Virginia. I think September 5th is the date. I don't know why I would know that offhand, but it feels like that's the date. And so we've got all this time to hype it up. And the reality is there's deficiencies on this team, and you can't snap your fingers and fix them. But I do think when you look at a program like Louisville, who went from two wins to a bowl victory over an SEC team, and what did they finish with, eight or nine wins? You know Dan Mullen at Florida. We don't like to talk about it. They were four wins before he came in. Now they probably shouldn't have been four wins. They had better talent than that. But he had back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Uh, The point is, even with the deficiencies, if you get them coached upright and bought in, you can you can show improvement. And uh, you know everybody that I've heard so far has had Florida State in the lucky to make a bowl game range for next year. Now, that's ticked up a little bit with Wilson and Terry coming back. And I'm not saying we're going to get to they're going to be 10-2. and But if you just see a product that looks like it's improving and making progress and bought in, they can be better on the football field than what they've been the last two years. We've talked all this year, and it ended up being the – the downfall for, for Willie, unfortunately,
1: but we talked about optics, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and how does it appear? And and we looked at the 2019 season and, and it just wouldn't get any better, so therefore a decision was made. Well, <clears throat> come 2020, are the optics better is the team looking better do they appear better are they better organized what about pre-stamp penalties what about uh silly penalties are are they able to convert on third down Uh, you know what's the creativity on the offensive side Uh, are they making tackles on the defensive side i mean we're all back to looking at what the product looks like and that's the world we're in so we're back to an optics uh type of evaluation and obviously that translates to wins and losses come the season Uh, but it is what it is and everybody knows that so you know what you know what your challenges are you know what your opportunities are and you
0: know what you're going to be judged by can we talk schedule for a second sure so you recall last year everybody talked about how much easier this last year i mean 2019 schedule's easier because you're playing virginia instead of virginia tech and for the entire year i pointed out that virginia was going to be a better team in 19 than Virginia Tech was in 18 which proved true so now everybody is on the schedule next year is much more difficult much more difficult much harder it's one game harder It's one game harder. You're playing West Virginia instead of Louisiana Monroe. Everybody else is the same. You're still playing Florida. You're still playing Boise State. I know that's on the road, but you lost to them at home this year. I don't see it as two and three and four games more difficult. It's one game different in that you would pencil in Louisiana Monroe as a win, and at best you would say it's a 50-50 proposition against West Virginia, but that's not a bowl team. That's not a great West Virginia team. I just don't see it as we've gone from a high school schedule now to a top schedule again. Am I missing something? No,
1: year i agree with you I, I did not agree with you last year you proved yourself right and me wrong that's why i pointed that out <clears throat> thank you very much but i do agree with you i think the 2020 season is not marginally uh tougher um and i think that works out fine uh, you know i i've come to understand that you know it's i'm back to the bowden days you know whatever the schedule is the schedule is you got to play them and whether it's at home or it's away, or whether it's at night or it's at daytime, whether it's a Saturday or a Thursday night, whatever it is, when when that gets penciled in, because there are people with much more authority than you and I are that are making those decisions, whatever it is, you gotta go do. And, and uh, I, I do agree with you that the 2020 season is not marginally more difficult than
0: 2019. We'll see how it plays out. I know you could look at it and say, well, you're at Louisville. That's going to be much tougher. Louisville had a big year. And you're at NC State. FSU never plays there. Well, guess what? FSU doesn't struggle with Wake Forest at home as much as they do up there, save for 2006. So spare your emails on that. you know, Miami on the road, Florida State's had more success in South Florida against Miami than they've had in Doak, if you look at it historically. So, the one other team that's on the schedule, by the way, and it does feel like Florida State's had the tougher end of the draw in terms of the coastal opponents, the crossover opponents, because you've gone from Virginia Tech, traditionally good, to Virginia, who won the coastal. Now you're going to get Pitt, and Pitt just returned, uh, like two or three underclassmen announced this week they're coming back. That's uh, a new opponent that you only see every six or seven years. But I just. Is it a little tougher? Yeah, it's that it's that one game. So, I mean, it, and the way the schedule will set up, it's going to be West Virginia, and then they haven't announced this date yet, but Sanford is going to be the home opener the next week, and then you go to Boise. So it's the same deal where you've got three games, and you're hoping you're 2-1 coming out of that three instead of being 1-2, and two. and really it comes down to that opening day again, and what are the optics, because we've gone four years now and not had success in September, and it feels like the season is, what are we doing? That's going to be the big three-game stretch to start the year.
1: And unfortunately, and you can save your emails on this, the reason you play those games is money. So every third year, every fourth year, maybe even more frequently in some situations,
0: you've got to take that payday because it helps make the budget work. I do think we're past the days of playing Boise State after this one. I mean, if you look at what they've done with the schedule, they still haven't officially announced LSU, but you've got Bama and Georgia. I don't know if Florida State will go back and play a non-Power 5 team. But we'll just we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, as we wrap up here, Keith, and we'll have more time to, to dig deeper about it. Any uh, reflection on the college football semifinals and what you saw in the LSU dismantling of Oklahoma and the gritty Clemson win to come back against Ohio State?
1: Well, I think you you, you characterize both of those perfectly. I, I I stayed up watched both of them. <coughs> pardon me from start to finish. I was really pulling for Clemson, particularly when they got down sixteen to nothing. Uh, I think LSU has proven. That you can take a, a head coach that uh, has a an ability to motivate and an ability to um, uh, bring people together. And, and Ogeron, I don't think anyone would say that Ogeron is is a great speaker. is a, is a, a you know a fire and brimstone type of coach from a standpoint of motivating his people. But he has an aura about him and a way about him that people want to fight for him and play for him. And he's assembled a great staff, uh, and, and he's allowed that staff to, to do their job like Bobby used to. And, and I think that's a model that maybe some other big-name programs are going to look after. You know, you don't have to have that that absolute good-looking, well-spoken, you know, CEO, uh, you know, Messiah type of person. It can be a a guy that is a a lineman and and grunts a little bit and and just works hard, puts his nose down and grinds and put together a program. And uh, I think it's been refreshing in that regard. And, And I hate to say this, but I think LSU will beat Clemson. I'm pulling
0: for Clemson, but I think LSU is going to end up being your national champion. Why are you pulling for Clemson? ACC? ACC. Yeah, most Knolls are not on board with that. I was curious on that, especially because a Clemson win here, on top of being three out of four, which would, uh, if there's any question about whether they're a dynasty, that would answer that. It also would move them past the current tie with a 29-game win streak, which FSU achieved. I understand, but uh, I've learned that it is very important in today's
1: environment to to be a little bit of a conference homer, so I'm, 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 I'm climbing on board that uh, that train.
0: I, on the other hand, because of where I uh, lay my head at night, am rooting for the Tigers, not the Tigers, just to clarify. So that would be the purple and gold. We'll talk more about that game and uh, Mike Norvell and the start of 2020 when we catch up next week. KJ, always enjoy it. Safe travels back from El Paso. Happy New Year, everybody. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week here on Front Row Knowles.